This presentation has been previously broadcast. The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Our debt crisis, it's now spiraling out of control. We're watching the Congressional Budget Office boost up again, just less than a year later, to now saying that we're going to be at $54 trillion in national debt in less than 10 years. When just a year ago that was 50, and two years before that it was only 38. So they recognize how out of control the national debt is spiraling. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. That's a little uh, of Peter Grandage giving you a um, well, wake up call, kind of a sobering warning. It's crazy. You know, you, you, take, you take a look at debt as Peter was talking about, and. Um, it should give us all pause. But here's an interesting Wall Street scenario, right? <clears throat> Looking at your 401k, your 403b, your, your investments, um, stocks on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, they're hitting record highs. The Dow hit record highs, right? And when that happens, you know what normally happens? Gold retreats because who needs that kind of assurance when – you know, you can <clears throat> invest on the market and, you know, the market shows no signs of declining, right? So gold tends to go down, but that's not what's happening right now. While stocks are going up, so is gold. Right now, it's staggering. It's $2,100 an ounce. I believe it's going to be a record, if not already a record. Peter will be able to tell me. But in the meantime, you know, as you see the market going wild, Inflation continues to go up. And the Federal Reserve, their preferred inflation analysis shows that prices increased in January by three-tenths of a percent over December. And that's 2.4% more than they were in January of 2023. And people are, and you're, you're feeling it, right? Be honest. You're feeling it. I know a lot of people are. One of my producers mentioned it to me. I've got kids. I mean, there's a lot of people who are saying, man, things are getting expensive. Consumer spending only increased two-tenths of a percent, so they're trying every which way they can right now, you know, consumers not to spend money. One woman told the Associated Press that she stopped buying potato chips and well, when they started getting close to $7 a bag. That's crazy. $7 for a bag of potatoes. I, I saw them at $5. My, was, I was talking to somebody the other day. I don't know who it was. Somebody here at the, at the network or... It was somewhere. And they said, I go shopping anymore and everything's over $5. I mean, you can't find anything under $5. Even the bag of chips, she said. I, well, I think that's probably an exaggeration. But the point is, everything is so high. Even chips are over 5 bucks. This lady's paying $7. So um, <clears throat> I guess it's good for your health, right? Cut out the chips. Uh, and probably good for your financial health, too. But uh, it's, it's hitting everybody in the pocket. We talked about these burger chains. Was it Wendy's? Uh, who was it? I think it was Wendy's uh, who's going to be doing this. Uh, they're going to adjust the cost of your of your burger depending on, on supply and demand, you know, how many people want it and how busy the store is. We'll see how that flies. Uh, inflation. The inflation report is influencing the Fed's decision on when to lower the rates again, which isn't right at the moment. I'd like to see them come back down. In fact, mortgage rates are still running Right now, close to 7%, which is a whole lot higher than they were, uh, you know, I'd say two years ago, three years ago, right? Think about people who had 2.5% two, two mortgages, 3% mortgages, 4% mortgages. They doubled. 
And it's a lot higher, you know, when, when interest rates go up like that. People can't afford homes. Peter Grand just joins me. He is uh, known as the former Wall Street whiz kid. Joins me about every two weeks, something along those lines, every other week. Um, and I, oh, I just like to get an honest uh, appeal. He, he'd rather talk about things that are spiritual than he would financial with me. I know that. He wrote a book called Confession of a Former Wall Street Whiz Kid where he he tells his journey. If you haven't read it, you can read it for free. He makes it available to everybody. And it talks about how his faith led him to a true you know, Christian conversion. And uh, if you want to tap into his expertise, though, if you think the guy's sane, you like what he has to say, then uh, check out petergrandich.com. Petergrandich.com. And his company is Peter Grandich and Company. And Grandich is spelled G-R-A-N-D-I-C-H. G-R-A-N-D. It's grand with an itch. G-R-A-N-D-I-C-H, right? There you go. Peter, good to have you back. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I hope you have a full bottle there of hemlock because I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> Probably going to need it because I'm confused, to be honest with you. You're the financial expert. I look at these things from the sidelines, right? Uh, I've always thought as the market rallies, you know, we see gold kind of retract somewhat. We've, we see stocks, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, and gold. Going up. Why are, why are people buying them up both? Why are they buying up both of them, I should say? Well, for the very short term, especially today, they did it because, first of all, we had very poor economic numbers today. The uh, IMS manufacturing contracted for 15 straight months. Construction spending declined unexpectedly. We even saw the University of Michigan confidence decline. And uh, that's just on top of continuing weakening overall economic numbers. However, uh, one of the Fed uh, governors made a comment about how they may lessen their selling of their balance sheet. Suddenly the market said, oh, QE is back, and uh, everything went up today. Like you said, it's not usually common to see stocks, bonds, and gold uh, all rallying. And of course, the one thing that went down, and that was the dollar. But uh, Getting past that one time, I, I think it's important for you to look back and look at where the market was two years ago, including uh, gold, and where they are now. They're just recovering for where they kind of went down during that time, even though gold's performed probably better than both of them combined. But there is a separation of a small group, call it elite, call it uh, the chosen fo- folks, the 1% or the 5 percenters. They see and and still act accordingly in the stock market in a manner different than maybe 80 to 90 percent of the whole public because most of that 80 or 90 percent at the very best is holding their own when many are declining and many have just been overcome and swamped. Uh, We're seeing so much problems on the bottom 50 percent of income earners. As you just talked about, so many things are just uh, priced out of the markets now for them. And uh, we're watching those group, which is very sad, having to use credit cards where they're paying 20 or 30 percent interest just to buy necessities. So there's a... the question you have to just simply ask yourself, Drew, look, I've been talking to you for a long time. I never sh- shoot anything but straight is this. Does the small group somehow bring the big group up, or does the weight of the big group down eventually bring that small group down? I think it's the latter, and I think we're seeing the signs of that. But, you know, until it happens to almost everyone, the financial part of the business, the news that reports in that, will always favor that group on the top and not really talk about that group on the bottom. Now, you don't have a crystal ball. 
and uh, you're not prophetic, but you can kind of read the winds. How far off do you think um, that correction will be then, or that adjustment? Um, Any sense of that? Well, let me start by saying that anyone, now I'm just celebrating my 40th year, and I'm telling you that anybody that thinks they're going to be able to look in a crystal ball like I used to think I did, the only thing you'll be an expert in over time is how to eat a lot of broken glass. No one, know, you and I have had this discussion, no one knows the future, especially anybody that thinks you're somehow being godlike in the future. I can tell you this. On Monday, I am releasing a report out that calls the most dire report I've ever issued, and I believe in no more than three to five years, and it could be earlier, the economic, social, and political environment here will rival what happened during the Great Depression. So if you're asking me, do I have a bullish outlook, I'm not the guy to speak to, okay? Uh, I, I don't enjoy this. It's not good for business. It's not going to open a bunch of people suddenly say, hey, let me meet this guy that's calling for basically the end of the world. And I'm not the end of the world, but I'm not in the camp that thinks somehow the vast majority of people are going to benefit over the next few years. There's too many things wrong. Can I explain? You played, I, don't, I guess you picked that up from something I said, but you mm-hmm. played about something that's one of five things which I think are going to yeah. lead to that crisis. Yeah, bring us through it. I mean, I'd like to see, you know, Listen, what you say. Like Drew, the Congressional Budget Office is probably the last place in Washington that has some bipartisanship left in it. And because of that, they, they're, they're seeing things that are not, they're not manipulating them. They've just now raised up their projection of 54, it's hard for me, I started 40 years ago, we didn't even have a trillion in debt, but they see wow. $54 trillion oh, in debt ridiculous. in 10 years or less. So just let's just say that they're pretty well right they're within the ballpark. Put a 5% interest on that. 5% interest rate is not high. You just noted that mortgage rates are around 7 So 5%. That's $2.5 trillion in interest expense that we have to pay. We can't just push it to the side. Well, last year we did a little over $5 trillion in revenue as a government. $5 trillion, $300 billion, I think it was. And let's just say there's a bump up that revenue does increase somewhat and all. We're still going to be looking at almost half of all the money the government's going to take in just to service our interest expense. Remove that to the side, and I ask all these bulls to explain to me, with that being a logical target, which we're talking about, how do we then pay with the remaining money, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Army, and all the other things that people say and are expected and needed when more and more people are going to call on the government? 65% of Americans are working paycheck to paycheck. We now have 7 to 10 to how many of those more millions of people coming into the country that are going to be calling on the government for support. How do we all pay for that? No one gives that answer. No one talk- Now, I have to tell you, some of the bigger titans on Wall Street are talking about it publicly now because they recognize we've gone past that fail-safe point. Now, Drew, I don't know if it's a year from now or seven years from now, but I do know I truly believe that the way we're going, unless, well, of course, remember, we have a God of miracles, so I don't rule that out. Amen. But unless that happens, I don't see how things don't get a lot worse. And because of that, more people than not suffer from that. And that, that's why it's very hard for me to paint pictures, you know, that can give people, oh, well, listen, if they just do this, that, and the other, 
through, we get political parties that not only do they not want to deal with each other, but now we have people within each party who don't want to deal with other members of that party. And that's the group that we're going to call upon to fix all the major issues that we have. So I know everybody's caught up in you know the election. If this guy wins, it's better. If this guy wins, it's the end of the world and all. But the bottom line is, no matter who wins, these two groups are not in a position to do the hard things that need to be done to start straightening these things out. So it's hard for me to talk to people past year. Could the stock market rally for another six months? Absolutely. But if you're going to ask me six to ten years from now, do you think the market's higher or lower? I'm going to tell you it's a lot lower because it can't be sustainable under these conditions. That's frightening for a lot of retirees, let alone for the rest of the country at large. If if you're talking about $54 trillion, that's that's unbelievable. So, Dude, you know how you know how bad it is? I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no you, you go right ahead. But you got you got me going. So. No, please. It's but all you, know you Peter. I want to hear you. The hardest thing is I live in a 55 and over community, yeah. and I live in, in a county in New Jersey. It's the second largest county in the nation of people 55 and over. And what I hear a lot from those people now is no longer about I'm concerned I'm going to pass away. What's going to happen? Mr. Granich, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of my assets before yeah. I die. Wow. And that that is probably the biggest problem now for people in retirement or close to retirement. Remember now, 65, almost 65% of Americans are working paycheck to paycheck. They don't have the ability to retire like those beautiful financial commercials you're going to see on TV and live, you know, playing right. golf and right. all that other stuff. And remember, not only is it going to be harder for them to work physically because of their age, but they're also going to need more government assistance at a time where governments are going to be Remember, governments only have two ways of raising money. They can raise taxes or cut spending. And we're going to see both of that on a large scale, not only nationally, but state and local cities, because we can't be sustainable at these rates. We just can't keep living this way. A lot of people don't want to say it, but finally, thankfully, some of the major titans on Wall Street are talking about that. And hopefully it filters down to the general public. What do you think? I don't want to derag, so I want to go through your points. But speaking of retirees... Uh, Social Security, Uh, you know, people are living longer. A lot of people need Social Security just to get by. I mean, they, they, they have no other plan other than that. What do you foresee as the future of Social Security? It's it's unsustainable at the rate. It, it will sometime within seven or ten years at the current rate, the number of people expecting it, the monies that are supposed to be available. We're going to need a major cut in it. Now, they've, they've, they've sent out the balloons and will probably wait until after the election again, thinking so they don't want to risk their election. Right, right. But one of the things that, that needs to be done is they'll raise the age we have to collect. They're going to start taxing a lot more of it. They're probably even going to come up with because wealth taxes are the big things now states are interested in. They're probably going to start to say that certain people of high wealth can't even collect it anymore, which is not a bad thing. Listen, if you got a billion dollars in all, they don't really need to send you a Social Security check when there's fellow human beings who can't put food on the table. But one of the issues that you have with the wealth tax is it's never fair because the people of extreme wealth always find ways not to have to pay it, no matter what the government tries to do. So more of the weight is going to come on the working class that's still keeping their heads above water. And that's that's why, and when I sit and I see people week after week in our planning group coming in, looking for help and all, and are living a financial life at least one or two levels that really their finances support, and people say how they do that. Well, they take away from Instead of saving for retirement, instead of putting them in ways they're buying, you know, bigger cars and, and, and going on bigger trips and all, when they don't have even to, to something like 
40 or 50 percent of Americans now don't even have a thousand dollars saved for an emergency. It's just it. And and can I just say this? Because I know I can say it on relevant radio. The greatest book ever written in finance is not mine or anybody else's. It's that book in your house called the Holy Bible. There's more about matters of finance and money than there is about heaven or hell. Half the parables are about it. And over, I don't know, I don't know how many hundreds of verses are about that. God, our, God Almighty, who we all believe, I presume most people listening to your network believe God is the crea- creator and also the, the inspiring of that book. He thought that it was going to be so critical, yet so few, even Catholics and even Protestant brothers, except those that get caught up in that phoniness of Christian prosperity, we don't look to Scripture to find our answers. But that's where we really need to start now. And he recognized that the single biggest problem for humans was going to be debt. There's not a positive verse, and you can talk to Father, talk to all any theologian, there's not a positive verse in that scripture about debt, but there's a tremendous amount of warnings, and it's debt we've got into problems. True, we took 37 years to get to $9.7 trillion in national debt. This administration managed to do that in 10 quarters, and including Congress, because they're, they're at fault as well. We can't keep having two to three, four trillion dollars in deficits and not expect somehow we don't pay for it in the very near future. But no, but this is not popular. This is not palatable. Most people don't want to hear this. Right now, there's probably people, unfortunately, turning off your program at this point in time. But the bottom line is, Drew, and you bring it up, is it needs to be discussed finally. We need to get this out because it's going to be difficult enough. And you know who's going to really suffer? Not me and you, Drew. Our children and our grandchildren, those are the people that are going to pay the biggest price in all of this. So true. My guest today is Peter Grandich. And if you want to join us, you can always dial in. It's 888 But before I take any calls, I, I want to go through our five points. And, and I'm going to give you the airtime. So, you know, take us through the remaining three points that we have. Well, there's, there's five majors, and then there's a, one that really is important, too. But the five majors, first, as we just discussed, it's, it's, a debt, it's the debt situation. The second is a combined retirement and aging crisis. Now, I kind of told you about the retirement, but the aging crisis is coming because as people get older and all, they're going to still command and hope that the government can help them with their medical situation, spend a lot of money on lungs or whatever it may be. And younger people, as this happens, and more of the strain is put onto them for taxes to support that, is going to get to the point where they're going to say, hey, enough with this. I, I can't afford for an 88-year-old man to go get a lung transplant. I can't even put food on my table. And the 88-year-old man's going to say, I worked all those years. You took it out of my thing. I expect it. <laughs> right. The problem is, as the boomers unfortunately pass, they lose the influence of political power because they're no longer the people that have all the wealth. And that's what's coming down the road. The third one is I hate to talk about it because it's really a, a tough thing for me to talk to as a, as a devout Catholic, and that's this immigration. And I have to call it an invasion, but an economic invasion. Mm-hmm. It, the, the strain economically is, is overbearing far more than anything socially and politically, and that is an acute situation, obviously, now, and people recognize that. The fourth is what Wall Street still refuses to recognize, and they're just going to pay a terrible price for that, and that's the formation and the growth of the BRIC nations, Mm B-R-I-C-S. 
They're getting stronger. They're putting out more news, more governments are coming together. And the simplest way I like to explain it to people, these are countries forming to work with each other, trading, using their own banking, maybe eventually even using their own country. And the United States is outside looking in. Now, Wall Street goes, oh, it's never going to be as big or bad as this guy Grandich says. They may be right. But remember, that business used to be done with the United States, and whatever they're doing will no longer be done with the United States. So that's a net negative. And then the fifth we already discussed, the thing we would hope that can fix those four, first four, we don't have because we have political paralysis. There is absolutely no desire on both sides of that aisle to, to give in, to do what it takes, to roll up the sleeves and say, listen, these are the hard things we need to do in the course of our career. Instead, we're watching still to this day, which is just amazing. Congress people, Pelosi, both sides of the aisles, making tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in the stock market. I think they should be focusing on what they were sent to Washington for and not about their own investment portfolios. Yeah, that's so true. I, I, back to immigration, because that is, I mean, we've had 10 million uh, undocumented migrants come into the country. Um, uh, some argue it's good for the economy. Um, you see that as a real detriment, though. Can you expand on that? Well, it's it's very hard because let's face facts. There are some people that are coming that are that are troublesome for one reason or another. But the vast majority of those people are coming because they were very poor. They lived in horrible conditions. The government didn't give them support. And what they get here right now, even if it's not up to we would say our standards, it's nirvana for them. So mm -hmm. you can't blame them for wanting to come, and you can't blame them for calling all their friends and relatives to say you need to come too. The problem is this government is now putting them the head of the line. You just ran a story at the top your hour about the New York governor who now wants to offer jobs to illegal aliens and bypass the rules that other people would have to in order to get those jobs. Why? What is it that makes suddenly their need to work versus homeless or vets or anybody like that? And that's what America is going to stand up for. And I'm telling you, that is and going to be the single biggest thing that's going to affect this upcoming election. Well, my guest, Peter Grandish. Peter, we have a few minutes here. I, what do we do? Where do we go? What's your advice? Well, what do you say to those who are listening? Because you're stressed out a lot of people. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, I, Social I Security. That. I, I hate coming on here and doing this. I, I like to come National on here and just say, let's talk about football next time yeah, or something. Right. But the bottom line is this. I think we have to remember realistically that we have a Savior. He's well aware of this happening. It's been allowed for a lot of reasons. And we're going to find the results that we need to know, and how to get through this through our faith, not through Peter Granich, not through anybody that's on television ringing bells and claiming things. We need to turn back to our faith and really pray and ask for God's divine intervention in this, because it's going to take divine intervention. These, two, these things are happening, all these terrible things as well, the natural disasters and all these things, and people just don't understand the ramifications down the road. They just, we got into a society that lives for today, not tomorrow, and our faith is all about tomorrow. That's what I try to remind our Catholic brethren. We shouldn't be caught up on today. We're taught, we should be focused on where we're going for eternally. And too many of us are just for the here and now, including in our own faith. And that's why I think returning back to our faith, practicing our faith, living up to what God calls us, including tithing, something that a lot of people don't want to do, especially when things get tough, but we should be doing. And I think only then will we'll have any real chance, because I don't think humans can solve this on their own. 
Yeah, with you. I think your advice is very sage. You know, dial back. Don't live beyond your means. That is so easy to do. I don't care how much money you make by the end of their paycheck, by the end of the when their next paycheck is due. Everybody's on the same plane. They spend, you know, more than perhaps you really should. And a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. Get out of debt, right? That's another one of your sage pieces of advice. And then the tithing is hard to do when things are difficult for people. But you've seen the fruit of that, haven't you? And that's a great spiritual practice, especially uh, during know, Lent. Almsgiving is such an important thing to do. I probably have talked now to almost two dozen relative radio uh, listeners who made their donations to speak and all. And one of the things that they came out after it, they said is, I am so happy I did this because I, I got a result. And I'm not saying that because I gave them some wonderful news or some stock that's going to go up to the moon or anything. But the fact is that they were mo motivated. And sometimes you have to be financially motivated to do something. I'm just, I've told everybody this. I've witnessed this so much time. The more you give, which not always has to be in money, it could be in sweat equity, the more God just somehow finds appreciation in it to the point of where he tells us in Malachi, he basically challenges us to trust him in that. And uh, I just see it too many times. People always ask me, what's the best investment? And I always answer tithing. And a lot of people don't grasp that and they don't like to hear that, but it really is. I love it. If people want to read your book, Peter, what's the best way to do that? I mentioned it was for free. I know we used to have it relevant. It may still be here with a forward slash. It may be. I don't know how that works, but I can say if they go to petergranich.com, you'll see a, a link up on the top and it says Peter's book. You just have to hit it and all the other booklets, and they can read it online. They don't even have to give an email address. Everything can be read online. Well, Peter, thank you for being here. Thank you for your... Um... Well, I'd like to come one day and talk about good news. So how about I just purposely <laughs> not talk about the reality of stuff, and let's live in a, in a fantasy world for one time. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. Peter, I'll be saying a prayer for you. I'm going to stop by the chapel when I get off the air here. It's right outside my studio. So count on my prayers, okay? Enjoy thank your weekend. You, thank God you, brother. Bless. That's Peter Grandage. Check him out at petergrandage.com. Petergrandage.com. I'll be right back. Hey, if you have real estate or land that you no longer need, well, consider the advantages of donating it to Relevant Radio. The process is easy, and the tax advantages can be huge. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash property. The hope lives here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, thanks for joining me. It's good to be here with you today. I've been following a couple things. There's a lot of movement in our country, isn't there? A lot of people moving from red states to blue states and vice versa. I, I saw a story um, about the Midwest and the headline, I got to be honest with you, it grabbed my my attention when I saw it. And let me just, I'll give you the, the tag that grabbed me. It says this, um, oh, where is it here? If I can find it. Um I can't find it. I'm on the wrong day. Maybe that's why. Let me see. Um, no, it doesn't matter. Bottom line, I, I was trying to share this this headline about what is happening in the uh, in the middle part of our country. Oh, here it is. Um, yeah, middle America is dying hard. I did see that. Um, uh, I saw it. It was published in Hot Air. Uh, Selena Zito has been a friend of the program. She travels the country over. She kind of has her finger on the pulse of what's going on. She's a columnist for the Washington Examiner, also a columnist for the New York Post and a CNN contributor. Um, she wrote a book called The Great Revolt. If you want to check it out, uh, go to selenazito.com. I, I, I saw this story because 
if you're familiar with West Virginia, uh, there's a little town called Weirton right on the Ohio River. And it's not a really pretty town. It's the home of Weirton Steel. And they're huge. I mean, they're hulking factories that just spew out this. They spew out black smoke. The workers are forging the steel. It makes the buildings and the bridges that you and I uh, get to live in and drive over and, and you know, appreciate. Uh, on Monday, Cleveland Cliffs Steel, which owns the plant, announced it was, well, idling its tin plate production facility. That means about 900 people are going to be out of work. They're going to lose their jobs. And that's a hard loss for an area that's already suffering because, you know, the loss of thousands of jobs over the, the past 40 years has just wreaked havoc on this part of the country. Back in the 1980s, in order to try to compete with foreign steel, they tried making it an employee-owned company. That didn't go very well. And then the North American Free Trade Agreement was signed, and that meant that cheaper steel from Mexico could be imported. And Chinese steel has been coming in unabated for years. And I've got a buddy who works in the steel industry, high-ranking guy there, and um, he's told me about the challenges that they face. So I've invited Selena to stop by today to give us some perspective on what is currently happening. Is Middle America really dying dying is middle america really dying good to have you with me selena good afternoon hey thanks so much for having me Can... yeah i i saw your article actually i think it was it was today earlier today or, or the other day I think it was the other day i saw it i came across it and i thought we got to talk about this because you know I've, I've i've been following the transition from some of these liberal states to more conservative states because of the policies and the crime but then I never really thought about how industry is being impacted. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there in Ohio. Did Cleveland Cliff Steel give a reason why they decided to idle that steel plant? What was behind the layoffs? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, to their great credit, Senator Sherrod Brown uh, of Ohio, J.D. Vance of Ohio, Democrats and Republicans lobbied uh, the administration hard to save, to, to not impose these tariffs that, that would have restricted a level playing field for American steel companies, um, in particular this process, uh, which makes roll, makes tin rolls. So think about anything you at home that you have that is a can, right? That's, that is made at that plant. And uh, it's the last plant that makes it in the United States. Wow. The, uh, the only other one that made it was in Gary, Indiana, and that shut down a couple years ago. And uh, they were unsuccessful. They implemented the, the tariffs, and and they're they're out of the job. It's closed. It's gone. It's done. It's interesting. So when I was reading your piece, and I think this is an interesting point that we can talk about, you kind of lament the, uh, I guess, the lack of respect for manual labor among politicians. Um, yeah. I, but but isn't that true in the general culture? It's it's unfortunate. If, yeah, there's a show out by a guy named Mike Rowe. You're probably familiar with him. Um, and he's trying I've to. A, I've been on his show a lot of times. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, he, this <laughs> guy's shining the light on, on the dignity of, of all vocations, you know? And my gosh, we as a nation, we need them, right? So I thought, I thought your, your insight was interesting. Why, why don't our politicians get this? It's, it's really interesting to me that Democrats used to want these voters, but they don't want them anymore. They started shedding them off um, slowly, but by the time Barack Obama was, was, was president, by his second election, he wanted no, 
He wanted no. He didn't believe the, the New Deal uh, Democrats or the conservative middle Democrats um, were needed anymore to win elections. So he shed them off, and um, and and Republicans inherited them, and they lined up on most things. But they still struggled to understand them because they had never really been part of their of the Republican coalition. So they struggled into how to embrace them. Uh, and and so and and the other the press definitely doesn't get them. They don't either know anyone that works with their hands. That's not an insult to them. It's just part of their cultural upbringing. And, and so they don't know how to write about them. Yeah. And, and, and so they're, they're, these voters who I believe the most important voters in, in this presidential election coming up, yeah. um, working class voters, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, they are going to be the people that decide the election. You know, it's kind of tragic, though. I mean, I feel bad for, for those citizens there in Ohio from Weirton to the town of East Palestine, they seem to be be really uh, uh, suffering a lot. And you're right, Ohio is going to play a big role in the uh, in the upcoming elections. Ohio is not alone. West Virginia, you know, a lot of these different states. You travel the country. What are you seeing right now? What, what's your uh, you know what's your vibe on what, what's happening right now? And um, is Middle America dying, as you say it? And, and, and who's prospering? The government is doing its best to to destroy Middle America. Now, in in terms of just sort of implementing these social climate change justice uh, regulations or tariffs, I have another story coming up today uh, in Pennsylvania um, where the Department of Energy is, going, yeah. is putting a new regulation in that's going to shut down um, two big steel plants in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, and, wow. and they keep doing this, and, and they don't understand sort of the collateral damage. It's not just the thousands of people that are going to lose their jobs. Yeah. In, in, a, in a small community like that, seven out of, um, they, they would create seven additional do- jobs. That's millions and millions of commerce that's just going to be turned off like a light switch and never turned back on again. Unbelievable. And, and it, it is absolutely curious to me. As, and I talked to Democrats, you know, privately, and they are just beside oh. themselves with all the things that's coming out of the Biden administration um, in, in, trying to, in, in trying to appease yeah. The climate change justice group, but uh, at the expense of their most important voter. You wrote another piece uh, about the Michigan primary. Speaking of the election, these green deals and a lot more. Michigan primary lessons begin and they end with blue collar voters. Uh, Michigan tends to tilt blue. Uh, where are they right now? I mean, we got big auto industries there. We have a lot of industry in in Michigan. Uh, what is the temperature of that state when it comes to the elections and who are they leaning towards? 
I hope people read that story because it's really important to look at Macomb County. Macomb County is the heart of the United Auto Workers, right? And you remember that this big thing about endorsing Biden. Yeah. Well, yeah. well <laughs> those voters on Tuesday, they voted overwhelmingly for Trump Wow. in those counties, in those precincts. I dug into all of those precincts. I was there. I talked to those voters. Um, and and they're not going to go vote against their own special their own interest, right? And voting for Biden means they're voting for an electric vehicle. That means they're voting for job losses, and they're just like not having any of it. They're just done. That's uh, absolutely amazing. So this, uh, I know you got to run that article. People want to read it. What's the best way to get connected to it? Um, SelenaZito.com. You have, you can see all my stories there from the uh, Washington Examiner. I'm now a contributor at the Wall Street Journal and also the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And I think there's a, there's a wide variety of stories from all across the country that really sort of give the beating heart as to what's going on. Well, Selena, thank you for your good work. I, I know you got to run. I'm going to let you go. Uh, Michigan primary lessons begin and end with blue-collar voters. Uh, selenazito.com. We're going to link over to your stuff, too. We'll put it on our Facebook or our Twitter page or X account so people can get it as well. Hey, drive safe. Look forward to next time we catch up. Thanks so much. You got it. That's Selena Zito. A lot of great writing that she does. And the reason I like her, the reason I go to her frequently is a very simple fact that she's got her ear to the ground, right? She's got her finger on the pulse of what's happening in America. And she's not just looking at exit poll numbers. I mean, she's talking to Americans in diners and in factories and all across the country. So when she reports on something and she says that middle America is dying hard, or she talks about how the election is going to be profoundly impacted in the state of Michigan by these particular voters and why, uh, if you want some unique insight, I think her writing is well worth it. So I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I shared with you a little bit earlier about the president, right? He was asked a question about in vitro. He's a Catholic. And unfortunately, as a Catholic, he dissents with the church. So I think you have a very clear demonstration of President Biden not being in conformity, not being in communion with the church or its teaching on a number of levels, right? I'm not here to beat him up. But when we come back, uh, Timory is going to stop by. She will be on, oh, probably about uh, about an hour from now, too, with her own show. She's got a really special guest. I, I've asked her to stop by. I want to talk to her a little bit about what's coming up. We'll take a look at this this story that just continues to reverberate, this this issue of, of in vitro. So uh, stay with me. We'll talk with Timory and more when I return. Hey, looking for a new job? How about one that offers opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Get informed and get connected. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, that was President Biden. He's always talking to the press from Marine One. You hear the chopper in the background. It's often hard to hear. 
There was an EWTN reporter outside the White House or there where he was boarding and basically asked the president what he thought about Alabama's Supreme Court decision. And um, remember, Joe Biden is a Catholic, right? A Catholic teaching on in vitro fertilization is very clear. I've talked about it multiple times throughout this week, ever since that story broke. And if you're not familiar with it, the Alabama Supreme Court, um, they, they made a decision that just sent you know, shockwaves throughout the country. Um, the Alabama Supreme Court's decision allowing a negligence lawsuit, this is where it all started, against a fertility clinic to go forward, brought a lot of hand-wringing. Um, apparently, there was a wandering patient who went into a prohibited area, knocked over some trays with frozen embryos, and the couples whose children they were, they sued for negligence. The hospital, they made the argument, hey, wait a minute, Alabama, you know, our, our law doesn't protect unborn children outside the womb, but the court ruled that it did. And I spoke to uh, Ed Whalen about this, uh, Mary Fiorito, so many other different guests here on the program as a result of it. And um, it's a huge story. The USCCB is very, they come out and they spoke, and there's a lot of clear teaching on in vitro. And, uh, you know, the, 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 all, the, all these aspects of, of life. This goes all the way back to 1978 with the birth of Louise Brown uh, in the UK, one of the first test tube babies. And a lot of people today have kind of become desensitized to it. Father Tapa Holchak was on yesterday. He's an ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. We spoke to him uh, a little bit uh, about this. Um, I mentioned the other day, and I think it's worth repeating, you know, Pope Paul VI, when he wrote Humanae Vitae in 1968, Everybody got crazy over the whole artificial contraception thing, right? That was the the, the that was the, the the burr under the saddle. That's a prescient document. You really should read it. It's not very long. Um, he also, in that document, condemned any fertility method that separated fertility from the marital embrace, and that's what IVF does. I'm joined right now by my colleague. If you get to tune into her show, she'll be on in about an hour and ten minutes from now. Um, she's always able to give you a very wonderful, clear, ethical look on so many of these different sexual issues. And today, she's got a spectacular guest uh, joining her, and I'm delighted to have behind the mic with me today, Timory. Timory, good afternoon. Thanks for the good work that you do there every afternoon. Drew, it's great to be with you, and I'm looking forward to sharing about my guest today, Dr. Susan Caldwell. So t tell us a little bit about her, and everybody knows who she is, and, and what it, will your show today be all about? Well, drop the doctor for just a moment. Dr. Susan Caldwell went to medical school, pursued a career like many women, and at one point, after years of contraceptive use, and that's her story, that's not every person's story who struggles with infertility, it wasn't mine, um, she ended up going for in vitro fertilization, and she'll share her testimony of IVF. She has children from IVF, however, she wouldn't recommend it to anyone, and it's interesting because she ended up changing the scope of her medical practice years later after her own experience mm -hmm. and now helps women who are struggling with infertility. Wow. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating story. A lot of people have children who are going to be listening to you that have come through uh, IVF. Mm -hmm. um, how, how does she address that? Or how, you know, how would you address the parent out there saying, gosh, you know, you're making me feel really guilty about this, but I love my child and mm -hmm. she's got an inherent dignity. And, you know, and I've had phone calls from people like that. Um, this is a pretty clear teaching. Uh, maybe you can expand on that. 
Oh, well, we celebrate every single human life. And that's actually part of the topic we'll discuss later on is embryo adoption and frozen embryos. And how do you navigate all these babies who are in the earliest stages of development uh, who haven't seen the light of day? And what's important to recognize is that we celebrate every human life. And if you were conceived via IVF, if you have babies via IVF, Praise God that that child is a gift. However, just because we celebrate life doesn't mean we always celebrate the means of accomplishing, bringing new life into the world. And that's Susan's story. She celebrates and loves and cherishes her children. And I have family from IVF as well. I get it. I'm not immediate family, but I, I get that. And I think that's important that we celebrate lives, but that we also have the ability to say, can we talk about what is or isn't good for women as well when it comes to in vitro fertilization? And Drew, that's what I find is interesting is people often think the church's teaching on IVF, infertility treatment, and surrogacy is cold, insensitive, and ignores the pain and sorrow of men and women who are struggling to conceive a baby. And I know that I get it. Before I even got married, was even engaged for years, I was told I might have a difficult time having children. And in the beginning, we did. And I was flabbergasted by the number of people who didn't even know me, who would ask, oh, you're married. You haven't had kids yet. And I said, no, I haven't. You know, God willing, we're really hopeful, but I also have some health issues. So we'll see what happens. And you know what, Drew, in the first year of marriage, I can count on one hand, the number of people who actually told me, you should just try IVF. It's blasely, not even knowing the medical impact on the woman. Well, I hear your beautiful baby in the background. (laughs) I I don't know whether somebody's there with the baby or not, or if if I'll wrap you and let you get to that little treasure. Um, It's so great to hear the baby crying in the background. She's hanging out. She's teething. She's hanging out here. My husband's here. Oh, he's here. All right. Well, that's that's great. And and, Timber, your show's on in an hour, right? About an hour and 10 minutes? Yes, an hour about five minutes, Dr. Susan Caldwell will be with us. She'll share her testimony. And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because, Drew, I often find people say, well, this is what the church teaches on IVF, or this is my personal journey with regard to fertility. However, they ignore the fact that there are a lot of nitty-gritty details to the process of IVF that have to be discussed and understood to really kind of understand where the church is coming from, from the impact of abortion to even things such as uh, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome and the impact that is on the mom in particular. It's fascinating. I talked about all sorts of stuff with this already, you know, how you can selectively um, choose certain embryos because of genetic quality. And then there's also the the creation of all these extra embryos that are either frozen or destroyed or discarded. You know, we, we got a lot of ethical issues here. I never heard that one where it affects the woman, like you just pointed out. So that's that's another you know, page, another chapter in this story. And of course, just morally, I mean, IVF separates procreation, you know, uh, from, you know, the, the marital act. And there's so much that goes in here. I I love what you say, you know, every life we have to celebrate. And, um, I had a friend that this sits home very closely with, because his wife, um, she went to med school for years and they kept putting off children. She finally wanted to do it. And he was an older guy and he couldn't, they, they're, he couldn't have kids. So she wanted to do IVF and he would not. It cost him his marriage. So I always see him like a martyr uh, for, for marriage in some respects. It's a tough decisions some people are going to have to make after you hear Timory's show. You can stream it either at relevantradio.com. You can download the mobile app. And of course, Timory, you're on stations all across the country at, uh, with it 7 Central? Yes, 7 Eastern, 6 p.m. Ah, there you go. Perfect. Yes. I, I know you're an hour from now, so not looking at the clock. Hey, keep up your good work. I look forward to tuning in. 
Thanks for having me, Drew. I look forward to sharing a story and more about the impact of IVF. And her story is incredible. So if you can't catch it live, be sure to listen at relevantradio.com. Yeah, and on our mobile app, lots of ways you can get plugged in. You can download the podcast, too. Maybe you want to share it with somebody else. So Timory will be uh, on, as I said, in about an hour now. In five minutes, her guest, Dr. Susan Caldwell, be well worth uh, checking out. Uh, I'm almost out of time for today. I want to thank you for... Uh, of course, allowing me to be part of your day. I Maggie's been away. She's actually getting an ultrasound today. She's my producer. She's pregnant. She is due probably in July, maybe a little bit earlier. We'll see how things go with her. So Patrick Alock is on the board with me. And Patrick, before we wrap it up for here for the weekend, you are a huge Jeopardy fan. Watch you know? every episode. You watch every episode? Yes. Yeah. You must kill it at trivia. Uh, it depends on the topic. <laughs> yes, that's that's awesome. A couple couple different um, stories I just saw regarding um, regarding uh, Jeopardy this week, and uh, apparently one of the headlines I saw said Jeopardy is under fire over a woke question, something to do with pronouns. What went down? Yeah, let me play this. Uh, let me play this clip first of all here, just to give some context here. Parts of speech six. Zem Zers Zemself. Chris. What are pronouns? Those are pronouns. Neo pronouns. Neo pronouns. Mm. So what happened? Well, I guess people are uh, very, uh, very think that Jeopardy is woke because you know they're basically allowing these kind of pronouns to be said on air and basically give justice to them. I guess, but I'll be honest, I missed it. I missed it so much because yep. it was like in the heat of the show. But yeah, it's sort of unfortunate they're just kowtowing to. What, what was the other controversy? Was there another situation? With, with yeah, this is about uh, about the Council of Trent. We have about thirty. Oh, seconds Catholic question. Yeah, Catholic yeah, question. Take a listen to this. Six. The Council of this Italian city added Judith, Tobit, and other books to the Catholic Bible. Chris, what is uh, no? I'm, no, I'm sorry. Ben or Jared? It was the Council of Trent. Oh, I think Chris was flirting with it. Back to you. The controversy, Patrick? Yeah, basically, it's Trent didn't add it. It just confirmed it. Right. That's what it did. Interesting. All right, we are we're out of time. Wish I had more for you. Stay tuned. Kale Clark is coming up. Timory will follow Kale. Father Rocky will pray the rosary. Until our paths get crossed, may God bless you.